0: Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers and teachers. My name is Paul Essa. I'm a PhD student in the Hebrew Bible program at Yale University.
1: And I'm Rev. Dr. Rachel Wren, Assistant Professor of Biblical Studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. We are back with another episode this week. As you can probably tell, our esteemed co-hosts Rosie Candethil and Tim McNinch are off this week. But we are here, and we have preaching tips and insights for you for Sunday, November 13th. The first reading passage that we have today is Ezekiel 34, 11-16, 20-24. And Paul, it's your turn. So, so what do you see here in this passage?
0: You know, so you remember the last time you were talking about passages that aren't quite your favorite passages. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think Ezekiel is like one of those passages for me. I mean, hmm. I think he is a great guy and he has great things to say, but I, I also see that he's truly an embodiment of what I would call weird, right? So <laughs> preachers, if you remember, <laughs> Ezekiel is the same guy who utters the prophecy about dry bones taking on flesh. That is a famous passage, but what you might not know is that unlike other prophets around his time, He is somewhat of a talkative, right? The entire book of Ezekiel is like 48 chapters long, full of prophecies. Besides, his actions are weird in that, you know, he speaks, he falls down, he acts out God's command. He travels between Mesopotamia and Syro-Palestine in a trance and sees really strange things all throughout the the prophetic book, right? His character is great. I like his weirdness in some way. But I'm not too sure, like, about all of what he embodies. And that's why I say he's weird.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Ezekiel is like, I mean, many prophets are weird. You know, Hosea's got this really sort of yucky metaphor of God and Israel in a polygamous, adulterous marriage. Jeremiah, like, cannot come down from 10 when he receives God's word for the people. He's just, like, always ready to explode. Um, Even Jesus, you know, overturns tables, right? In the temple. So, you know, it's kind of an interesting thought. Like maybe to be God's messenger, you have to be sort of weird.
0: (laughs) You have to be, right? Thankfully, we do not have one of those super complex prophetic passages for today. We have Ezekiel 34. And this passage takes up the motif of shepherding in a way that is similar to Psalm 23. The difference is that for the most part, the shepherds talked about in Ezekiel are not so good as the one in Mm. Psalm 23. I should say that unlike Psalm 23, there is more than one here. There's more than one shepherd here. There are uh, the shepherds of Israel and there are manifold deeds through verse 10 of chapter thirty-four, And there is God as a shepherd in the other half uh, through 24. And now, it will be good to take a pause here to talk about two important points, right? Number one, a lot of the language used here is metaphorical, not literal, as we all know of most prophetic passages. In many ways, prophetic speeches are like that. They use beautiful but unstraightforward language. Point number two here is that the metaphor of a shepherd is widely used in the Bible and ancient Eastern literature to represent kings. So. This is really a famous image all throughout ancient Then And we have like, you know, a picture, really famous picture of Ramses the second holding a shepherd's staff, you know, representing king, kingship in Egypt at a time when he ruled. So I say all of this just to say that, you know, the passage, although it's about shepherds, I think it's really about kings and leadership and rulership and things like that.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I remember hearing that for the first time and just being like, wow, I'm never going to read Psalm 23 the same way again. And then I kind of started thinking about the shepherds at Jesus's birth and kind of wondering, is any of that royalness kind of attendant Ooh, upon yes. Jesus's birth or or were they just shepherds? You know, I haven't really decided that one yet. That's right.
0: That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the, the The core of the section we have here, though, in verses 11 through 6, is about God promising to become Israel's true shepherd. And that immediately triggered for me, you know, a question, which is why does God need to do the shepherding himself? Right? And, you know, if you look back into the verses before from 1 through 10, it is clear that Israel's shepherds, aka Israel's kings, have messed up big time. In verse 2, for instance, Ezekiel calls them out saying, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? In verse 3, he continues to say, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak, you have not healed, you have not bound the injured, and he goes on and on and on. And then he ends by saying, you have ruled with harshness. Even worse in verse 5, he says, the sheep are scattered because of your doing." Ezekiel is noting all the failings of Israel's kings and leaders and is calling all of them out with divine fire and anger. And in the end, God, through the prophet, said in verse 10 that I would demand my sheep at their hand. I would rescue my sheep from their mouth so that they may not be food to them. So God is trying to correct the situation here, you know?
1: Yeah, that's such a kind of striking image too. Like, are you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. And the implication being, which it fleshes out in verse three, that That's they have been right. feeding themselves literally on the sheep. It's not quite cannibalism, but it's it's kinda yucky, right? Like you're supposed to be caring for these things and instead of carrying them, you are consuming them. I mean, that whole idea of uh, the vulnerable being consumed by the powerful, yeah. like you think of our world today, and I'm sure lots of folks could think of more than one example. It, you know, this message from Ezekiel is very relevant still.
0: That's right. Yeah. Injustice in prophetic literature, it's a, it's a big it's a big thing. What is interesting in all of this, and perhaps one that I would offer as a preaching tip, is the fact that the exile or scattering into other countries, as Ezekiel calls it, is a direct consequence of bad shepherding, of bad leadership, of bad kingship, right? It is because of their bad shepherding that they are removed from their home and placed in exile. And remember that exile in the Bible is not tourism, right? It's not going on a vacation. It's not going to see other people's countries because, you know, we need to relax. Exile is forced relocation. And in this this particular context, it is forced relocation by Babylonian troops that came with brutal falls violence, and other social, cultural devastations. And as we have seen in previous episodes, God did not dream exile for the people of Israel. God dreamt for them to have their own land, right? To have their own home. And so they being exiled, I would argue, is perhaps out of God's plan for them. But the good part is that God's work as a new and a better shepherd, although includes tasks like feeding and healing and doing all the things that Israel shepherds did not do for the flock, in, a, in verse 13, God is bringing them back home, right? That's like at the center of what God is doing as the good, primary, better, divine shepherd, right? Making a home for his people. Indeed, the work of feeding and healing would take place at home. It is a work of home making. I would argue. At a time like now, when America's debates about immigration heat up and become more complex and more difficult to entangle, and I've been watching the news a lot recently, I hope that this passage would inspire preachers to talk about home and the concept of where one lives and deliberate what that means for all of us, wherever we are, and if possible, Churches and places of worship would offer their homes and their sanctuary or spaces available as an extension of God's work as the shepherd who cares about making homes for people, especially for those who need it the most, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. I love this image of God as homemaker and God as homemaking for others, especially, as you noted, for those who are the most vulnerable. I think it's a beautiful image.
0: That's right. Yeah. I just, I just was caught up on the fact that God's work in this prophetic passage goes beyond just fixing the things that Israel's mm-hmm. leaders did wrong or broke, right? It's, it's, it's bringing the scattered back together, bringing them home and situating them on their own land. And I think that's a really fascinating task to take on. But one last point that I have is that as the, Prophetic word of Ezekiel moves towards verse twenty-four. It shifts from God doing all the work to someone else coming to do something more. Right? It shifts from from God to uh, what I would see here as a Davidic shepherd. Right? God is setting over Israel someone else who is not God Himself. One that is in the future, and the identity of the person is really unknown and is hotly debated among scholars. So I would not want to go there. However, one possibility is that since this new shepherd, this shepherd king and his work is very much like Jesus as you read the passage, I wouldn't rule out that possibility that this person might be Jesus because Jesus too describes his work in the world as one like a shepherd. Jesus cares, Jesus feeds, Jesus leads, Jesus searches out for the lost ones and shelters. Homemaking, right? the flock. Certainly, Ezekiel's prophecy allows us to bring in Jesus who said, I am the good shepherd, and I have come so that all may have life and have it abound. I think that's a cool, cool sermon point to lift up here, preachers.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a couple different ways you can lift that up too, you know, talking about is this a prophetic nod hundreds of years into the future, or are we kind of getting to glimpse behind the curtain and see the passages that nurtured jesus's own understanding of his self his call his work in the world you know is is this ezekiel passage something that he took up himself and then leaned into and really lived into and then we see the fruits of that like you said in that gorgeous john passage it's very fun yeah definitely pre-advent christmas that's just that's a really fun place to go so wonderful place to leave our listeners thanks for your work on this passage paul
0: my pleasure my pleasure rachel
1: Friends, we hope you found something helpful in our discussion today. Remember, you can find an episode on just about every passage in the lectionary. We're working our way through them by using the search box on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. While you're there, take a peek at our merchandise or make a donation to help keep the podcast going. And a really big thank you to everyone who has donated. We really appreciate it. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found us helpful, leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. Share us with a friend. Until next time, I'm Rachel Ren.
0: And I'm Paul Esso. Have a great week preaching.